Hi there, Megan Thompson here with Megan Thompson Coaching. And today I wanted to cover how you are sharing the role if you are co-parenting. So if you are parenting a sensitive child who is stuck in the meltdown cycle and that duty is shared by either your spouse or partner or co-parent across households, I wanted to cover uh, the process of ensuring that the family dynamic problem of the meltdown cycle is thoroughly addressed. Hello and welcome to How to Parent Your Highly Sensitive Child Like a Ninja. I'm your host, Megan Thompson, licensed clinical professional counselor and registered play therapist supervisor. We at MTC teach parents how to eliminate the daily meltdown and shutdown cycle for your sensitive children and teens. Highly sensitive children make up 15 to 20% of the population, according to research that has been gathered for over a century. And this podcast answers one question. How can you raise emotionally intelligent children, stop walking on eggshells, and help your child express their needs safely without punishments, yelling, or coddling. If you wanna know the answer, you're in the right place. Here at MTC, we help parents of highly sensitive children break out of the meltdown cycle in as little as eight weeks, and we help parents do that around the world for, and we've been doing this for years. And one of the things that we hold very strongly is that parents who are in a two-parent household where both parents are living in the same home, uh, that, that we require both parents to be participating in the work that we do. And this is really important when you think about noticing the break, the meltdown cycle and the shutdown cycle and how your child is having emotional breakdowns. If you and your spouse are, or co-parent are not on the same page, then the dynamic will not shift. Now, here's what's important to understand. If your kid is hitting, kicking, screaming, yelling, throwing things, see, like, you know, uh, running away and saying, I don't love you, I hate you, life would be better off without me, um, all of those things or anything in between, uh, this is very, very stressful. And Uh, We have a saying here at MTC, single parents get stuff done. And it's also true that if you're not a single parent, which is what this focuses on today, uh, then it's very important that you you choose not to treat yourself like that, right? Uh, You choose not to treat yourself that way. Now, one of the things that I think is really important when we see two-parent households try to break out of this pattern is that usually one parent will lead the charge on figuring out how to parent in a more attachment-focused, emotionally intelligent-focused, resilience-focused than the other by doing most of the research. Uh, Typically, this is the person who, if you end up speaking with us, you book the call, uh, or you sign up for our newsletter, our, our free free class, and all of that. You end up inviting your spouse into the Facebook group because you found it, etc. Right. So uh, this is a lot of work for somebody to to be breaking out of the pattern. And it's also true that if you're uh, the one parent in the home who is prioritizing the parenting because of other priorities managed by your spouse or co-parent, that. Ha- is likely what has worked for you if you have multiple children and if some of those children are not highly sensitive. Now, by the time you get stuck in the meltdown cycle, it's very important to shift gears. And one of the things that we talk about often related to parenting and in our work with our clients and our program, et cetera, is that you have to bring 100% of your full self 
and your spouse needs to bring 100% of their full self into parenting a sensitive child because a sensitive child stuck in the meltdown cycle is exhausted and it's exhausting and draining to parent a child who's losing their mind day in and day out. It's actually quite traumatic, quite frankly. And uh, this can lead to a lot of frustration. You can feel um, stuck, you will feel dread, you will feel resentment, you'll feel anxiety, you'll feel worry about the future. Uh, You may feel anger, you may feel self-anger, self-loathing, that you even thought that your child needed a different parent or you felt inadequate, right? There's all kinds of swarming emotions in, in trying to solve this problem. And one of the things that you might be trying to do to to break out of the pattern is to try to fix your kid, right? Now, if you have a spouse or care co-parent who is not as informed as you, who hasn't done all the research and who hasn't uh, been dedicating as much time, perhaps they're asking you and saying, hey honey, you know, I, I love that you're doing all of this. Do you mind just sending me the cliff notes? What do I need to know, right? And the bottom line is that if you're trying to raise a emotionally intelligent child who currently is not demonstrating a lot of emotional intelligence, currently they're blaming other people for their emotions, they are freaking out because they are so overwhelmed that they can't be present to the moment, uh, they're struggling to take responsibility, then that is a clear indicator that, that you as, as a family member who's leading the home, a parent in the home, uh, need to observe how the parents, you and, and your other parent, are playing into this din- dynamic. So if you are telling yourself that only one parent can lead the charge here and only one parent needs to do the, the work to break out of this pattern, then you are applying false logic. Now. This is not your fault. This is not your fault. It is everywhere, everywhere on all kinds of platforms, everywhere in general parenting uh, advice systems that it takes one person, one adult, one meaningful relationship with an adult for a child to make lasting change. That statistically is relevant to non-highly sensitive children. And so, That might be true for your other children. They may be able to rely on you, who is more of the emotionally um, focused and and focused on raising and meeting the emotional needs in the home. And they may be able to feel well-resourced enough to solve their problems creatively, or at least solve their problems, accept reality, suck it up, you know, deal with uh, their responsibility without losing their mind, right? Now, does it mean that they're moving through their emotions effectively, they're discharging um, frustration regularly, they're discharging anxiety on a daily basis so they don't hold it all in uh, and implode or act in perfectionistic ways. I can't tell you that. You'd be able to notice that. And it's also true that it's much more likely that a non-highly sensitive child is going to have a generally average level of functioning in the emotional intelligence realm Uh, when they have one parent who is connected to their emotional needs on uh, on some plane, you know, on some level, right? Now, what's very important is if you have a two-parent household and the sensitive child in your home is getting mixed messages, then they will present with significant challenges. So the mixed messages are, you know, the difference between 
I understand you. I get that your feelings are very large. I know that you're working through this. I have patience for you. And then another parent has zero patience. Come on, this isn't that big of a deal. You don't need to be like, why don't you feel better already? Basically, um, rushing them through the process. We have places to go, people to see. Let's let's keep going, right? So if you have a you know, grand amount of patience from one parent and a very short amount of patience from another parent, then the child will not only feel confused, uh, but they will start to break down trust because highly sensitive people look at the collective dynamic, right? So what does that mean? Highly sensitive people are more prone to shame, more prone to assume that they are a burden. Now this is studies and, and research based on adults who weren't taught these skills and landed in therapy. So let's make sure that we're, um, as adults, right? They weren't taught these skills in, in childhood. They're working through their generational patterns in adult therapy, and then they were studied. So what we have to assume and also deduct, and, and I have you know, solved this problem with hundreds of families at this point, so I can test to our clientele. But what we have to notice is that uh, adults who didn't have skills are likely going to be more prone to shame. If you don't know how to solve your own problems, you're probably going to tell yourself you're a piece of crap, right? We can all kind of, you know, put two and two together, right? So uh, that process doesn't mean that shame is part of the highly sensitive mentality in a sense where it keeps children stuck. Now, if your sensitive child is saying, what was me or I hate you and taking their shame and throwing it on you, then Shame is absolutely part of the equation. That's part of the equation of the meltdown cycle. It is not part of the equation of the temperament trait in a sense of assuming that that symptom-like behavior is something that will not uh, be be able to be addressed and is something that your child will continue continuously um, live with, right? So how does this apply to how you're showing up in your parenting relationship with your spouse or co-parent? It is so important that you communicate to your spouse or co-parent that what has worked with their, with your other children or what has worked for them uh, being raised isn't working now. And that has to be coming from a place of empowerment. You have to be able to send that message and share that message in a way that isn't acting like your child does when they're losing their mind. Otherwise, you're going to create the same situation where your spouse or co-parent shuts down right? So what we know is that typically in family dynamic issues like the meltdown cycle, there are, there are usually breakdowns in communication at the adult to adult level in addition to the adult to child level. Because like I said, this is a family dynamic issue. It's not a kid problem. It's usually the fact that the parents are not on the same page and they are actually acting counterproductively. And so you can likely resonate this with this, right? Now the counterproductive piece might not be that you both uh, don't share the same vision for your children, right? You, much, uh, you, you might very well envision your child to be healthy, high-functioning, effective, uh, and following through in all kinds of ways, right? Successful in relationships, successful in school, successful in their career, uh, so much so that they leave your house at 22 after they've graduated uh, college, or if they decide to stay home to, say, you know, to save uh, for a house, they're actively doing that by the time they're 22 because they've landed themselves a job because they are marketable and they know how to interview and they can have clear and confident conversations with strangers to present who they are in the workplace, right? Um, or for, the, for their potential workplace setting. 
All of that requires somebody to be emotionally intelligent. They need to be able to notice their emotions, notice that they are worried and decrease that intensity. Otherwise they will show up buttoned up. They will show up shut down or for highly sensitive kids, they won't show up at all. They will freeze and stay stuck. And so when we look at the countless numbers of millennials stuck in parents' basements, uh, we can observe that usually uh, one, would, one, one is assuming that that behavior is due to entitlement. Now let's look at what entitlement actually is. And I promise you I'm going to get back to point number one on the importance of communication here. But entitlement is the assumption that you are going to have to, that you are going to get or are owed something in your future regardless of the effort that you put into it, regardless of the effort you put into achieving it, that this is something that you are um, not, not just taking for granted, but assuming that will happen for you, all right, without effort. That's the, the piece related to entitlement. So when we see sensitive children who struggle, who start to demand things that they are expecting of their parents or that they were hoping to have in their lives, uh, and they are stuck at the effort uh, providing level, right? That so, you know, I want to have straight A's, but I'm so frozen in my schoolwork. I can't do it. I, I'm yelling, I'm screaming, I'm in fight, flight, freeze. I don't know what to do. And uh, so I might as well quit, right? But then I'm also going to be mad if I don't get the good grades or if I don't get the whatever, however the school is like rewarding things these days, right? Like, um, you know, I want the reading prize, but I'm not willing to do the reading work to get the prize that the school is providing, whatever right? There's a sense of assumption that that child is feeling entitled to the prize without actually doing the work. Now, this plays out in adulthood. It plays out in young adulthood. It plays out in adolescence if we don't address this problem for young children. Because when you're raising a child who is thriving, they are able to tolerate discomfort, right? So they notice frustration and they tolerate that. They don't shove it down and pretend it's not there. They notice frustration and they tolerate that. Every successful athlete, every successful business person who is lastingly successful in the sense that they can scale their company, not just like work themselves to the bone and have nothing for their family, right? A anybody who's successful in leading a charge uh, in ministry, in community, um, people who are successful from a place of being able to maintain calm and points of stress and flourish in those avenues, they all are able to manage their emotional state. Now, whether they do that naturally or not, or they were taught that in childhood, one could argue, uh, likely they were taught that in childhood, but not, um, maybe not always directly, right? Because some parents, uh, when, when we were raised as kids, our, our parents, some of our parents were intuitive, some of our parents weren't. So, um, uh, that's not up for debate at this point. What is important to understand is that if you are not emotionally intelligent, if you're not building the tolerance of frustration, then instead what you're going to do is want to be from A to Z without recognizing you have to go through B, C, D, all the way up to Y in order to get to Z, right? You're just going to expect it to work out immediately right away. And that mentality is actually very frustrating on top of the discouragement that you already experience having not met your goals right away, right? So 
what's really important to pay attention to is how your sensitive child is learning. Your sensitive child needs to learn through both parents, holding them to feeling uncomfortable in the frustration, not making them move over it and go do the thing, but allowing them to experience the frustration and get over it themselves, move through the emotion rather than just pretend it's not there. Now, this is important because if you are trying to pretend that only one parent needs um, uh, need this needs needs to lead the charge in this, then you are following uh, false logic for this population for your child's needs. And um, again, as I mentioned before, there is no fault in this game. The system is rigged in terms of listening to uh, parenting um, related to non-highly sensitive kids because it's an 80-20 perspective, right? 80% of the population is not highly sensitive and your child is. And so a lot of the parenting advice out there is just not going to apply uh, in specificity. It may apply in generalities, right? You, There are parenting experts who talk about building resilience for non-highly sensitive children all the time, right? But how to get there is not going to be applicable uh, in, the, in the regular general approach for your kid. So it's so important that you are working with your spouse or co-parent to show up uh, 100% as your most empowered self. This is not somebody, somebody who's empowered as a, as a leader. This is not somebody who's demanding immediate compliance. This is not somebody who's leading through criticism. This is not somebody who's nitpicking or nagging. This is someone who is having conversation, right? And saying, sweetheart, you're moving in the right direction. I appreciate that. And here's where we need to go next, right? And so this is one of the things that we work on with our clients is really noticing that as soon as you finally feel like you're listening to the right professional who finally gets it, um, that is a very validating experience, right? That's my hope here. And also uh, motivating. Also my hope here for you, that there's motivation to solve the problem, to not just wait for a quick fix, to not just give your power away to somebody else, and um, to move out of the information that we provide and into transformation that requires accountability, troubleshooting support, and constant encouragement, constant encouragement. You have to be noticing what's working in order to keep going, right? Um, parenting is, is not a sprint and it's also not a marathon. It's actually both. It's a sprint and a marathon in any little situation, especially if you're in survival mode, you have to sprint and then you can marathon. And, uh, in that metaphor, the assumption is that there's an end in sight, right? And um, that's just simply not relevant for most circumstances um, when, when this is happening for, for parenting. You can't see the end in sight. You're parenting a child at six and expecting them to be independently going to college by the time they're 18. That is a 12-year race. <laughs> and um, if you take the wrong road when they're in between six and seven, then you're, you're ending up on the different finish line by the time they're 18. And you don't know that, right? Yeah, uh, you don't have that clarity. So this is what the focus is uh, of today's show is to notice that the, the, the first focus of uh, clarity that you need to break out of the meltdown cycle is that you need to have uh, the process of communication between both parents 
uh, moving smoothly. And uh, you can't, and, and so when, when you're listening, like I said, when you're listening to a professional who has seen the light at the end of the tunnel, who notices uh, and has helped clients achieve whatever their personal light at the end of the tunnel is, in that circumstance, in those circumstances, there's a process that allows you to see the wins right in front of you and you're able to achieve them, right? Your child clearly communicates their needs and moves on and does their homework without frustration and aggravation leading to meltdowns. Basic stuff here. That's like regular old survival goals here, right? Now, obviously, if you're stuck there, that's a big goal and it can feel very daunting and I want you to achieve that. It's absolutely possible. We've helped hundreds of clients achieve that. And and when you hear me, it is so important that you choose to hear me from a lens of possibility and from a lens of empowerment rather than authority, right? So authority can take on strong my way or the highway vibes real quick. <laughs> and uh, when you are working on the understanding of what true authority means, it means confidence. It means competence. It means clarity. And it means, um, means, you know, demonstrating compassion. And so when you're doing that to your spouse, with your spouse, with your co-parent, uh, then you can lead from a place of uh, noticing, honey, I know that this is harder for you. you. You've done less research than me. So it feels more natural to me. Doesn't mean that it's wrong for you, even though it feels unnatural. You'll get there. You'll move in that direction. Hey, guess what? There's a lady who I know that and her team that, that actually helps people get this, these results they're looking for a lot faster. We should start listening to her together or we should start um, reviewing what we learn together, right? So staying out of the dynamic of an imbalance. This is number two. So important for you to find that level of balance for you, that you're setting boundaries that, um, that of what you can tolerate, what you would tolerate in your household. In your household, um, recognize and, and acknowledge, um, have you done a zero 100 split where you are 100% in charge of the children and the other parent is 0% in charge of leadership of the children? If the answer to that question is no, right? Your, your spouse or co-parent is in a lump at home with their hands down their waistband and just, you know, watching the TV all day, right? If that's not the dynamic that you're, that you're dealing with, then great news, you can work to have a conversation with your spouse or co-parent if they are not doing their due diligence to raise the children that you either created or invited into your home together, right? So takes two to tango, folks, takes two to, to, two to open the doors. And in that respect, what that means is that you get to notice, listen, you're going to work, I'm going to work too, and we're both going to parent. And that's how this works right? Whether you like it or not, I'm happy to weed the garden and mow the lawn too. And we're not going to look at, at a traditional division of power in the household and think that that's okay. The world runs much faster, much differently, uh, much more intensely than it did in the 1950s. So we're just simply not going to look at it like that, right? Um, effective parents who are co-parenting in a two-parent household take a dual 100%, 100% perspective. I'm going to bring 100% of my full self after work or um, at home or whatever, and I'm going to bring 100% of myself after work or what home at, or at home and uh, regarding my other duties as well. 
And so dividing that level of responsibility requires you to have conversations that your spouse or co-parent are going to actually hear. You can't expect to be heard if you are yelling, if you are at your end of your rope and you are exasperated and acting as if you need to pull somebody to the starting line. That dynamic will never work. It actually is disempowering to the other person. And so now you're both trying to lead the family from a disempowering state. So it is definitely important for you to do your mindset work, for you to manage your own emotional state before you have conversations like this with your spouse or co-parent. And then thirdly, it's really important for you to understand how to cope with conflict. So all relationship is um, is going to experience conflict. It's actually really unhealthy if you have zero uh, arguments or disagreements in the home. And uh, it's also true that those arguments or disagreements need to be contained and managed effectively in order to not escalate and create additional strife and stress and uh, overwhelm for the, for the family household, right? So uh, in terms of the volume of a voice when you're arguing, in terms of the um, intensity of how you argue, it's really important to mitigate those conflicts, to, to cope in a way where you're handling disagreements with agreement for the two of you, to notice that you, you have systems in place to take breaks from these conversations and to come back to them quickly so that those breaks don't take you know, three months until all, all of a sudden, you know, we're annoyed at our kid again, and we're both at the end of our ropes or, or, um, you know, you've lost steam and you need your spouse or co-parent to pick up the slack, right? So it, it is very important to be respectful. It's very important to be productive. You know, one of the things that, that, um, that we teach our parents to do is to notice how we're communicating in all avenues of our life. The work uh, significantly requires both parents to be talking to each other from a place of uh, expectation of, of positive things to happen, right? Uh, regardless of the history of how long it's been where you've, you've not been on the same page. And in that process, their trust needs to be rebuilt possibly or needs to be solidified, doubled down upon, all right? Uh, and and when, when you're doing this regularly, then your collaboration on child development science, on neuroscience, on uh, brain development and uh, for children and adolescents, as well as resiliency and growth mindset and psychology and mental health um, uh, thriving, right, uh, rather than mental health surviving, all of those conversations can be just like you would have a conversation around what color to paint the guest room, right? You can have those conversations without an intense amount of emotional weight uh, at hand that you can uh, have this conversation and have it not take um, the, the, you know, knock the wind out of you. Now, if those are skills that you find yourself being pretty rocky with, because perhaps you're not um, 95% consistent with how you want to parent, perhaps some of the time you parent in the old school way that you were raised and your spouse or co-parent sees your kid jumps to attention when that happens out of fear, you know it's out of fear, but it seems to reinforce your spouse or co-parent's traditional minded uh, parenting that's based less in, less in research and more on anecdote, right? So if that part uh, is part of the dynamic or, or perhaps you've tried to have these conversations over and over again and um, it's been very difficult for you to finish because you end up getting escalated with uh, a level of urgency that is part of the survival mode mentality, right? We have to fix this right now or I have to escape the emotion right now. Um, or I can't trust you right now. All of those are, are trauma responses to, uh, to the meltdown cycle. 
because it's very overwhelming. It's very stressful to watch your child lose it on a daily basis and feel out of control of leading them. And all of that dynamic, all of that focus uh, requires you to start to seek professional support. There, um, there, this is no way to live. There is an absolutely, there is absolutely a different way to be, uh, to be breaking out of this pattern. It is something that you can do much more efficiently with help, uh, when somebody can see the angles that you need to pivot in. And, and it's really hard to notice when to pivot if you're, if you're not being supported by somebody who are, who's listening and watching and, and hearing you, uh, grow in your skill set, right? So just like um, the difference between shelf help and and reading a book and then putting it back on the shelf and not really ever being able to get started because your situation isn't exactly what they talk about in the book, you know, parents work with us and, and, um, and, and, and invest their time and, and, and resources into solving the problem uh, swiftly because they recognize that they want to go back to living their lives, right? Uh, you had a life that felt healthy and, and practical and functioning and, and growth-minded and maybe even f- thriving before you decided to have kids and uh, potentially even for the first couple of years for your sensitive child. And now it doesn't feel like that anymore. And so it's really important to get back to where you were on that dynamic and to do that as fast as possible so that you can grow from there, right? Uh, it doesn't take as many years as it took to get you into this cycle to break out of it. It really can literally take in as little as eight weeks. And you need to be focusing on a couple of things. You need to be parenting without shame. You need to be parenting in a playful way. You need to communicate to your child how they can systematically change certain behaviors. And you need to be working at the root behaviors. Your child's inability to tolerate frustration, inability to tolerate negative emotion is one of the roots. There's many, uh, but it is one of the roots for you to be able to work on because it's not... um, uh, the, the, the focus can't just be on your child keeping their hands to themselves or using kind language or communicating their emotions before they blow up. All of those things are actually symptoms of the real problem that your child doesn't know what they're feeling on a regular basis enough to dissipate it and discharge it and uh, reduce it just like sand in an hourglass on a daily basis, on an hourly basis, on a multiple times uh, uh, an hour basis, depending on the stressor. And if that's a process that you struggle with, because, you know, we already talked about maybe how you learned how to manage your emotions growing up and even in adulthood, then it makes perfect sense, right? Makes perfect sense that you haven't been able to help your child to do that either. There's nothing wrong with you. We help parents who are awesome. (laughs) We help awesome parents with awesome kids, right? There's nothing wrong with your kid. They're not broken. You don't need to fix them. And... Uh, all we need to do is teach you those awesome skills. And, and that requires a system to break out of this pattern. Because as soon as you have a system, then everything is going to work much differently. Uh, and if you don't have a system, then it will continue to feel like you're throwing spaghetti at the wall to see what sticks. You have to notice what you're assuming about your kid, how they're, they're processing their emotions, what's possible for them. So you're not selling them short or selling yourself short in terms of how you lead them. And you have to be paying attention to uh, raising your child in, in a way that is based in research and, and, and evidence on managing big explosive emotions for very clever, intelligent, and maybe even gifted sensitive children. All right. So uh, happy to support you in breaking out of that pattern. How do you do that? You go ahead and have a conversation with our team. Our uh, parent coaches are, or myself are going to get on that first phone call with you. And we're going to talk about your challenges. We're going to talk about where you're stuck, what you're frustrated with, what your worries are, right? 
And uh, then we're going to talk about where you want to go. You need to have clarity on what your concerns are in order to for us to understand whether or not you are concerned about the same things we get concerned about when we hear your story and also whether or not you're motivated to fix the problem uh, in addition to understanding your perspective of what fix is and also who needs to be fixed, right? Because nobody in the household is broken. The dynamic though is definite and the strategy is absolutely broken. And that's what we want to help you fix. And uh, we need to assess your viewpoint and your perspective and, and also your dreams for your family so that we can ha have a cl clear per picture that, um, you know, if you're, if you're, uh, if your one and only dream is for your child to become a world-class cheerleader and, um, you know, none of us are cheerleading coaches on the team, we're going to say, hey, let's go find you another, uh, another professional resource, right? But if your child is having, you know, freakouts and they won't even get into the gym, then yeah, we're likely your people, okay? So um, that's what we're talking about here. Understanding where you are in your journey of breaking out of the meltdown cycle, what the challenges are, where your child is struggling significantly, and whether or not that matches with our specialty and the specific thing that we do uh, here at MTC. We only do one specific thing. We help parents break out of the meltdown cycle and keep it that way and thrive beyond that uh, so that they can become, you know, lasting uh, and make a lasting impact in their children, their families' lives, as well as in their communities if they wish to do so. And in that dynamic, uh, that requires a phone call. It requires a phone call for us to talk to you about where you're stuck what, what, and what you want to learn from, um, from the team. And uh, we're happy to have that call. It's free. Okay. So nothing to lose, everything to gain. <laughs> All right, let's have it. And uh, that's it for today. Looking forward to talking to you and see you soon. Thank you for joining me on this episode of how to parent your highly sensitive child like a ninja. We release a brand new episode every week. So be sure to click subscribe. If you like what you've heard, and you're interested in seeing if you're a fit to work with us at MTC, here's what I want you to do next head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call and book an appointment with our team. We'll get on the phone for about 60 minutes and we'll get you clarity on where you're stuck in parenting your sensitive child or teen, what your goals are for supporting your child's development. And if we can help you, we'll get you started on knowing exactly what to do to eliminate that meltdown cycle. Eliminating the daily meltdown cycle does not happen by itself. You need expert guidance to make it happen. And we've helped hundreds of clients from all over the world end that cycle in as little as eight weeks. So to see if we can help you do the same, head on over to meganthompsoncoaching.com backslash call. I'm Megan Thompson, and we look forward to speaking to you soon.